Hello, my name is Jim, and I want to welcome you to Love Like Jesus, the first in a series of three parts, and this is going to be a series that I think you'll want to be a part of each part. It's just a high-impact, central piece of what it is to follow Jesus. Um, The first message today is forgive sinners, and it's a tough one, it's a heavy one, and we're starting perhaps at the most challenging part of the trilogy of these messages that we're bringing in the next couple of weeks, and since it's so tough and heavy, I I wanted to lighten things up a little bit before we get into the hard stuff, and so I need your participation if you wouldn't mind to answer some things with your hands, that kind of thing, so here, here we go. How many of you are firstborn, firstborn? All right, lots of firstborns in here. Very good. How many of you are secondborn? Okay, did, you probably don't remember this, but firstborns do. You came along and, and you were their play toy, you know, and the firstborns remember you, they just played with you and you occupied them. How many of you were thirdborn? Thirdborn. All right, and you probably know this. There's a far fewer pictures of you than your older siblings. <laughs> did, isn't that true? Right? All right. How many of you were fourth born? Okay, there's several of us. I was number four. Number four. And how many of you are fifth or more? All right, talk about people playing with the toys that you survived with everybody above you playing with you uh, through all of that. Now, I have a kind of a goofy question, and you don't need to answer this one. The question is, now, does birth order have any correlation with how often you were in the doghouse? All right, so there's my question. And so here's my picture. This is me not in the doghouse, on the doghouse. And I was, I was fourth born, so there's only like a couple pictures of me. And this is one of them, you know. And, and that's my older sister. She was third born. And so here's the whole family. And both of these pictures, by the way, were taken in Japan while my dad was a missionary there in Japan. Now, I have seen these two pictures of me frequently, but I always is sort of self-conscious about it, sort of focused on my own picture and that kind of thing, instead of looking at the, the story in the faces. And this time around, I looked at the story in the faces. You know who's screaming out for me to figure out what's going on in this picture? My little brother. And so I don't really remember this day, but here's what my... What I, I'm, I'm looking at my brother's face, I'm looking at my face, here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, you're on my foot, <laughs> right? And you can tell that, look at this grin that I have there. It's like this mischievous grin, like, yep, on purpose too, smile, you know? <sighs> I don't know if that's how it went down, but those are the kinds of memories we have in relationship to each other. Now, I lightened the mood a little bit because we're going to hear from another pastor. I took two clips of a very heavy message and a memory of his about he and his sister. We're going to see the front part of that story at the beginning of the message and the back end of that story at the end of our message. And the pastor's name is Craig Groeschel, and he is the pastor of a church in Oklahoma called Life Church. And he's a nationally known leader and a very good communicator. But our focus for today is this focus. If we want to live like Jesus... We need to love like Jesus. And all of us are here because we're attracted to Jesus, we're attracted to his life, we're attracted to what he represented for us, and we want to live like him, we want to follow him, and if we're to do that, we're going to need stuff to change inside of us and to begin to love like Jesus. So there's the light stuff. The rest of this message, I'll just say it up front, 
It's not fun, okay? But it'll be helpful because forgiveness is not fun. It's hard, and we're especially going to sense this as Craig shares his story right now. I, I always would give her a hard time, but I truly, truly loved her so much. And uh, you can only imagine how devastating it was when our family found out the news that her sixth grade teacher, a man that I'll call Max, it's not his real name, uh, Max was a very disturbed, very sick man that we discovered later on actually groomed lots of the little girls um, in, that came through his sixth grade class. Back however many years ago, we didn't even know what the term groomed was, but it was, that was kind of before there was more attention brought to sexual abuse. Um, but this very sick man abused my sister, um, along with many other um, girls that were victims of, um, of his abuse, and this went on for years and years. And as any of you know, um, sexual abuse is, um, is, is more heartbreaking than you can imagine. Every type is. I'm going to tell you right now, what he did was on the extreme end of it. There's really, really bad, and then there's extremely, really, really bad, and he was on the extreme end of it. I was a, um, a freshman in college, not yet a Christian, when I discovered the news. And um, if you don't hate me for telling you, I hated the man, and I wanted to see him suffer, die, and burn in hell. Okay? I mean, that's, you'd be like, oh, pastor just said that. I uh, wasn't a pastor then, and I felt that way, and I wanted to see him suffer. And I hope that doesn't offend you, but that's the way I felt. And something happened along the way. I ended up becoming a Jesus follower, and I still hated Max. I went to church one day, and my pastor preached on a text that blindsided me as I listened to him preach. Uh, the text is Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It's in your notes. And this is what the text said. Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay, watch this, verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When I read that verse, I had this sense of panic because there was nothing in me that ever wanted to forgive Max for what he did. That's unforgivable in my mind, and yet this is what the text says. How can you forgive someone who does something that seems absolutely unforgivable? So that's the question that we start with today. How do you forgive someone who does, not, who does something that seems to you is absolutely unforgivable? Forgivable. It's a tough, tough question. If you've lived long enough, you're going to run into the unforgivable equation, the thing that feels like there's no way you can forgive that person of that. There's, that, there's just no room for forgiveness. That person needs to pay. And so we need to kind of jump in and begin with more words of Jesus to try to understand what is Jesus getting at when he says, if you don't forgive, then I can't forgive. What is that? I mean, there. Uh, Craig talked about the panic that was rising in him. I can't forgive that. And I can't be forgiven if I don't. It's like, ah. And so we need to kind of figure out what this is all about. Uh, Jesus taught, and we have it recorded here in Luke, Luke chapter 23, 33 through 34. Jesus didn't teach this. This is a description. Jesus said, they crucified him 
along with criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I haven't often just sat and pondered that phrase. I remember it, I quote it, I quote it for reasons for us to forgive, but what is it about this statement? What is it that they didn't know? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, think about it. He was being crucified. The Jewish leaders, they were glad he was being crucified. They knew they were crucifying him. They had no compassion for him, no empathy, no sympathy. They were glad they were causing him all of this suffering. They wanted it to be elongated suffering. Did you know that the crucifixion, crucify, is the very word we get our English word excruciating from? excruciating pain prolonged in as long as period as you can to make the death as bad as possible. That is what they wanted. They knew what they were doing. And they wanted to do it. So what is it that they didn't know? Well, what they didn't know is they weren't right. They wanted it because they were convinced they were right that he should die. Because he's evil. He had to be evil because he's just a man and he's claiming to be equal with God. He's just a man. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's just a man. He's saying, I and the Father are one. He's just a man. He's saying, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That man needs to die. And then Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they do not know. They are wrong and I am right. Within the last year or so, God took me to task over a time when I knew I was right. And I was crafting a letter, actually a text, uh, email variety. And while I was writing it all out, I feel like God just pinned me to the wall and he said, you are the most dangerous when you are right. I set the letter aside. I never sent it. And then, in short order, I don't remember the exact details, but as in a matter of days, I I was reading through a passage I'd memorized. I'd memorized it in a New International Version. I had memorized it about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I had included it in my prayer with regularity. And I was reading it in the NIV 2011 update. And I was confused because they updated it to the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. And I'm thinking, who uses the word forbearance anymore? Forbearance is not a word that we use in our culture. And and my understanding of updating scripture in translations is to update it in the way we speak so that we get at what it's really saying and understand it in terms that we use. Why are they going backwards in that? And as I looked it up and studied the Greek, it's like, oh my, that's why they went to that word. Because the whole time I'd read it, patience just simply means waiting and kind of be nice while you're waiting. Forbearance means you're right 
they're wrong, but don't make them pay for it. You gotta just give them grace and give them mercy, even though you're right and they're wrong and they hurt you, you need to be forbearant. And that comes from the spirit. And so I got this, bam, bam. It's like, you're the most dangerous when you're right. And you're least forbearing when you know you're right and you know they're wrong. And unfortunately, it's very personal for me because I had developed a pattern in my marriage where when I'm right, watch out. It's like the conversations go like this. If we just keep talking, you'll figure out that I'm right and you're wrong. We just got to keep talking because eventually you're going to get it that I'm right and you're wrong. And that is what we're addressing. Something's wrong there. I'm the most dangerous when I'm right. Here's the question for us as we continue. How do you forgive like Jesus? How do you forgive like Jesus? So the first thing you got to do is you need to pray. Point number one, write this down if you are the kind of people that like to write it down. Pray for those who hurt you. All right, that's not very intuitive, is it? No, not at all. In fact, here's what we read. This is Jesus. Luke records it. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who cursed you. Pray for those who hurt you. That's just like, that's the point. Pray for those who hurt you. Back to me. Clash, clash, clash. I'm right, you're wrong, and the reason we need to get at the bottom of this is I'm hurting and you need to hear me, right? You guys don't see that side of me. That's the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde side. If I'm right and I know it and I know you're wrong, the switch goes, and I'm a different person, and I want to just go, go, go. And so let's just hang in here, keep talking, keep talking. We're going to talk this out, and then eventually we'll get to the conclusion that you agree that I'm right. And I talk, 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 push, 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 and eventually I will push, push my lovely, sweet bride, Gina, right off the cliff. <laughs> because she can't see it. She sees how she's right and hurt, and I'm wrong. Here's the answer. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, there's actually a better piece of this. Let's go with Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This was shocking teaching to the Jewish culture. Shocking. If you've read through the Psalms and prayed through the Psalms and made that a part of your devotional life, which I would encourage you to do, learn how to pray and just be very honest with God. He's not surprised by anything. You will run into the Psalms, this type of Psalm that the theologians call imprecatory Psalms. Now, let me just untangle that word. That means in the Psalm it says stuff like, may that wife be a widow. It's like imprecatory. You're calling a curse down upon your enemy. And may the children be fatherless. You're calling curses down on somebody. You're so angry, so, you're so right, they're so wrong, you're praying curses down in precatory psalms. In the Jewish culture, that was normal. It, it, in their, in their, their law, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I mean, if somebody whacks your eye out, then whack their eye out in justice. And if somebody knocks your tooth out, then knock their tooth out in justice because it's the just thing to do. Don't knock their head off if they knock your tooth out. Just a tooth. 
You know, that's the idea. That's justice. And everybody inside of us, us, you need to admit this too, when somebody hurts you, the justice, I'm right, you're wrong, rises to the surface and you're not going to let it go until they pay and they learn that they are wrong for that. Justice demands it. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. So what he says is, it pulls a carpet out from underneath the whole culture, and they're going, what? And it pulls a carpet out from underneath everything inside of us that's intuitively saying, it's not right. They've done this to you. We cannot forgive them. We cannot let it go because that is unforgivable, and that's where we're living. And Jesus says, no, for your sake, you've got to forgive them. Now, let's get back to this marriage thing. This love your enemies is really, really good marriage counseling. When you're feeling your your Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde switch just go boom and you just turn into another person. Right? When you turn into that person, you need to remember, Jesus said, love your enemies instead of them. Right? And so, this has happened so many times and I'm embarrassed to say it. In the middle of that tense moment, when there's impasse, and generally it's because I've pushed her over the cliff. It's like, okay, I need to regroup here. And then I go to the cross. And when I go to the cross, it's like, if Jesus forgave you, numbskull, all these things, and I know what a great sinner I am, and he's forgiven every offense, all of them, who do you think you are to hold this one offense that you're hurt by? Big deal, little hurt. You're not crucified. You crucified me. She's not crucifying you. You're feeling a little hurt. Who are you to hold that against her? And something inside of me rises up from, oh, you're right. And the switch changes. And when I go back to the table of conversation, Gina could tell right away. It shifted, didn't it? She didn't say it. Because now, instead of proving her wrong, I'm ready to listen. And maybe, if there's grace enough there in that moment of going to the cross, because I'm forgiven, I can even say, when I was so convinced I was right, I can say, I'm sorry. I was so wrong. How did that happen? Instead of focusing on how she affected me, I'm focusing on what I'm doing wrong, pushing, pushing, pushing her off over the edge. My pride is doing it again. And it's all the grace from the cross that's bringing me to that place. As Jesus forgave me, I can forgive. So I might say, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. 12 magic words. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. There's one more triad. You'll think of it. All right, here's the next statement I want to put on the screen. Your prayers for your enemy may or may not change them, but your prayers will change you. Point number two. Forgiveness, or forgive as you've been forgiven. And that's kind of what I'm trying to illustrate here, that since we are a forgiven people, who are we? to hold any one person's offense as that much greater than all of our offenses. And that's part of what will help us get there to forgive. Here's Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with each other. 
and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Next time you feel really, really angry and you know you're right and you know they're unforgivable, you know they're wrong, next time you feel that, go to the cross, spend some time with Jesus, remember what you did to him with your sin, nailing him there, and he's forgiven you everything. And as he's forgiven you everything, maybe you can begin praying again to forgive that person that's hurt you. Now here's the funny thing, and it's a quote that maybe you're familiar with. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Here's the poison, you pop off the lid, I'll show you, now die! Right? That's bitterness. When you're refusing to forgive, I can't believe you are so wicked, you're seething inside, it's like this smoldering stump that's just burning itself out with the anger and the hatred and the unforgiveness and it's you that's hurting. They've forgotten a long time ago what they did to you. They don't even care. But you are dying in a pile while you're unforgiving them. Here's the next statement. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Don't wait till you feel like forgiving. Forgiveness is a choice If you choose to forgive, it will not change your past, but it can change your future. Here's the latter part of Craig Rochelle's story about her sister. What do you do when you've been hurt? You you start praying, and you do what I did. You just take it to God. You just be honest with him. I don't want to do this. Then right, it's not right what they did. You just tell God, just take it to God, just take it to God, just take it to God. And then one day, you play the Frozen CD and you just let it go. <laughs> right? I'm sorry, I grew up with that. Like, let it go. <laughs> and you just, you just do. You just, you just make a choice. I'm just, I'm, you know what? By faith, I'm choosing. By faith, I'm choosing. I, I don't even feel it yet, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start saying I let this go. I'm gonna let go of what they said. I'm going to let go of what they did. I'm going to let go of the hurt. I'm going to let go of the bitterness. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. In the same way that God let my sins go, in the same way that Jesus shed his blood to forgive my sins, that I could be forgiven, I'm, just, I'm choosing by faith to let it go. I'm choosing by faith. And let me tell you what. This is what I did for Max. After praying, 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 I will never forget, I was home from college for Christmas break, and our family was talking about it, and we as a family collectively made a choice to forgive him. And I was the new on-fire Christian, so I wrote him the note. And this is back when you used to put a stamp on things and mail. (laughs) It's called a letter. And I wrote him a letter and said, Dear Max, and I, and I, told him that um, we all know what he did to my sister and others and that we're very hurt by that, but none of us were perfect as well, and that because of the grace of Jesus and he's forgiven us and because of what he teaches, we choose to forgive him. And I explained to him the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross for us and what his death and his resurrection meant and what that provides. And I explained to him that no matter what he's done, that if he would call out 
and ask for forgiveness that Jesus would forgive his sins the same way that Jesus forgave my sins. Okay? And through tears and just agony, I sent that letter. Well, uh, Max was actually dying from muscular sclerosis and was um, under the care of a hospice nurse at the time he received this, um, this letter. And I met that nurse through a weird series of events later on. And um, she said he was very close to death when he got the letter and she read it to him. And she said, I, I don't know what he did. And I never told her what he did, but she said, I don't know what he did, but it was obviously pretty bad. And he just cried and cried and cried the whole time that I was reading the letter to him. And he got down to the end and he said, would you, would you read that prayer to me again? I think I need to pray it. Okay. So, if Max, the man who molested many young girls in a very brutal way, prayed that prayer for the forgiveness of sins, then Max would be in heaven even now. Not because he's good, because there's nothing good in him, but because that's how good Jesus is. In the same way that I will be in heaven one day, not because I'm good, because there's nothing good in me, but because of how good Jesus is. That's the reason. Okay? Craig Rochelle said, on the day that I chose to forgive this man, God set a prisoner free. And that prisoner was me. When we refuse to forgive, we stay embittered, we stay in bondage, we stay angry, we stay hurt, we stay unforgiven because we're all closed off and hating and we have a hard time opening up. Who are we to open up to the forgiveness if we won't open up to the forgiveness? See what I'm saying? If we can't open up to the forgiveness that we receive, we can't open up to the forgiveness that we give as it flows through us. Now, I realize that saying those kinds of things are really hard to hear. Even in this room, as we've talked about abuse, there are a lot of people, I'm sure, that is in this room that have experienced abuse. And this heavy topic just literally makes you almost feel sick because it brings back the pain. If you've lived long enough, you are experiencing pain of unforgiveness, pain of hurt. And it could be a lot lesser hurt, but for you, it's the hurt. It could be the divorce that you went through, and it still plagues you, the pain, the betrayal, the hurt. It could be the adultery that took place. It could be that the, that happened recently. And what do you do with that? And you know that the scripture says in black and white, there's grounds for divorce here and you could hold it. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. But just know though there is a choice and circumstances will cause you to go one way or the other. In that situation, there's also grounds for forgiveness. And that is a supernatural thing, that grace taking people that far. There are people in this church who have experienced that, forgave each other, have stronger marriages as a result of grace and mercy than they could have imagined was even possible. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Now, don't feel condemned if you didn't forgive that divorced person. Just know forgiveness sets you free. And so there's so many things that we feel. Maybe 
your close friend betrayed the sensitive information that you gave and they just plastered it everywhere or told so many and now it's, you feel totally betrayed and exposed. What do you do with that? Jesus says, you forgive. And that's a hard, hard thing to do. Do you wait till you finally get over it and feel good enough that you can forgive? No, Jesus doesn't say that. It never works that way. He says, you got to decide to forgive, and then we'll work through your release. So I have put together a, a prayer that perhaps will take us through this process, and it's a tough one to pray, and here it is. It goes like this, and I'm just going to read it through for you, but there's a, a section in here where we're going to pause and give you a chance to process how you need to forgive today, and that's in the bracketed sections. So let me just read it through. Dear God, I thank you for forgiving me and releasing me through your dear son Jesus' undeserved kindness toward me. I confess that I have not shown that kindness toward those who have hurt or offended me. Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive. Let me just mention that sometimes for some people, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Sometimes for some people, the hardest person to forgive, you just can't even muster up the courage to even say a prayer because you're angry at God for letting something happen. And really, God hasn't done anything wrong. The world is a messed up place. He's allowed it in your story, and he will love you through it. But maybe you just need to let it go before God and trust the unwritten part of the story yet. And maybe you need to forgive somebody that's already gone. Your parents, they've already died perhaps, and they've hurt you so deeply, and you've never really released them. You can take any of those kinds of scenarios through this prayer. Then I want you in that pause, if there's still time, not just say the person's name if you know their name or describe that person in a situation. Also say, here's what you do during the pause. You don't say it out loud. You just verbalize with your mouth inaudibly. Don't just let it with your closed mouth be in your head. Verbalize inaudibly under your breath that person, what they did or didn't do, and how it made you feel. And then we'll move on. I choose to let my resentment go. Please heal my damaged emotions. Thank you for setting me free from the bondage of my bitterness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together. If you're that courageous, if you're willing to give it a try, to find release, you know you need release from that hurt. This is the answer. And if you would like to have this, it's going to be on our website. It's also in the app for today, uh, this prayer. You might need to revisit it. Every time that pain comes up, say it again. 70 times 7, Jesus says, until the pain diminishes and you can be released. Out loud together. Dear God, I thank you for forgiving me and releasing me through your dear son Jesus' undeserved kindness toward me. I confess that I have not shown that kindness toward those who have hurt or offended me. Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive. Okay, here's the part where you're just going to mouth the person, the event, and how it makes you feel. Ready? I choose to let my resentment go. Please heal my damaged emotions.
Thank you for setting me free from the bondage of my bitterness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The sweet release of forgiveness is what Jesus released from the cross. The sweet release of forgiveness that sets us free from death and sin and into the forever kingdom is through the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And that sweet forgiveness is ours to receive and ours to give. And he's going to turn the world upside down into followers of Jesus if we'll just let that forgiveness in. And this is week one. We have a 13-day reading uh, that we want you to consider. It's 13 days of love like Jesus. It's the Bible reading plan. It's in the YouVersion Bible app. We've given the link on your outline. or It's in the app or in your outline if you need to grab a hold of an outline because you didn't get one. It's there for you. I read every one of these 13 days. It's phenomenal. It's people talking about their life and how to love like Jesus, and it's very nitty-gritty, real to life, and I would love to have you for the next 14 days, so through our series, read one a day. It's real short, uh, so consider that. We have a prayer team to the right of the stage that be love to pray for you about anything, so let them know what you'd like prayer for. I hope to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great day.